we got our friend old Joe here today. We're going to talk a little bit about him. If you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to be there again today. Genesis 37, we're going to talk about Joe and his escapades and see what kind of trouble he can get into today. And as you're uh, turning there, let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. We'll do a moment of, of silent prayer that you can express anything that you need. And then I'll finish this off and then we'll get into the word. And fathers, we humble ourselves before your throne. We want to tell you happy Father's Day. We've been telling each other, and uh, Rick mentioned it, but we just want to tag on to that and say happy Father's Day to our spiritual father. And thank you for the blessings of life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sharing all of this with us so that as we go through troubles in life like Joseph's going to, that we can rely upon you and your word and Father, we pray now that we will clear everything out of our mind and our heart and that we will open our eyes and our ears to be able to hear and to see what you have written for us to learn from. And may we build upon this foundation, Father, for every day of our life. May we learn to love and trust you as our loving Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis 37. We uh, talked a little bit about Joseph last week. We've seen how that his grandparents kind of started everything off with this thing called favoritism. How that Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob, or uh, yeah, loved Jacob. So in all of that, there was a bunch of trials going on. And then when he got older and his eyes grew dim, Rebekah and Jacob deceived Isaac into giving the birthright and the blessing to Jacob and not Esau. And so that carried on into his life as Jacob grew older. He ended up with four women, three of which he didn't want to be married to, only one of them, and he treated her special. He started showing favoritism right off. And that led into the Lord, it says, closing her womb, and opening up the wounds of the other ones so that they bore children to him and she didn't. They actually had ten male children before she, uh, she was able to, Rachel was able to conceive and bear forth a child for him. So then that continued on. That eleventh child, Joseph, the guy of our story. He was the one that was most loved. If you're there in Genesis 37, you'll see in verse 3 that he was most loved, that he loved Joseph more, Jacob did, than any of his other sons, continuing this favoritism thing. Trouble is, is that's going to cost him greatly because that is going to make an happy Father's Day because this isn't really a good lesson for fathers because we don't have... Good examples. We got kind of an example of what not to be in Jacob. But here he is. He's showing this and it's going to cause him grief. Because the other ten brothers. It's going to say five or three times in the next five verses. How much they hated him. 
for all of this. So that's going to cost him grief because he had a favorite and he showed it. And that's where you may have a favorite, but you do not show it as a parent. And that's where he made the mistake. And this all came out and it's going to cost him dearly. He's going to lose that son for a while. Not only did he just love him more, but he also made him an ornate robe, it says in the NIV. The old King James says the coat of many colors that we're familiar with. And we have all seen that Bible school story about Joseph and his technicolor coat and all of those things. But then we kind of popped that bubble a little bit when we saw that the actual words for that coat of many colors or ornate coat wasn't really that. That it, the word actually means to the flats. And what that means is, is to the flat of your arm where your wrist comes down into a flat spot. And where your feet make the flat there. The hem would go down to that. And it meant a long coat. And it was a coat of authority. And so what it had happened was, was Jacob had designated Joseph as the leader, the 11th son and not the first one. So in all of this, showing favoritism, giving him this coat, and the reason that it became later to be known as a coat of colors is because the normal robe would go down to your elbows and knees. And as you added those layers onto it to take it down to the flats, they would often use different colored materials to separate you from the normal crowd since you were now designated as the leader. And so that's how it became known as a coat of many colors, but it was a leadership. And this was directed for Joseph. And the brother said, really? You're going to do all of this? And not only that, he started having dreams. And he told him, he said, listen up, guys. And just think, if this is your little brother, you're probably 34 or 5 if you're Reuben. And here's 17-year-old Joseph, and he comes up and he says, I had a dream, and I dreamed that we're out in the middle of the field, and my sheaf stood up, and the rest of you gathered around me and bowed down to the ground and made obeisance to me. And they're saying, really? <laughs> You're saying that we're going to be your servant? And he's like, yeah. And he didn't learn from that because it says that they hated him even the more for his words and what he told them. And he said, hey, I got another dream. And I can't keep it quiet. I've got to tell you about this dream too. Gather around. Then he told them about the moon, the sun, and the stars are going to also bow down to me. And this time he even told dad and mom. And dad's like, are you serious? You're saying even I am going to bow down to you? And he said, that's what it says. And they hated him the more again. But it says that Jacob, though, even though he rebuked him, he didn't really like what he heard. But it says that he took a mental note of what he said. And we're sitting here thinking, why does Joseph do all of that? Well, I purposely skimmed over that last week so that we would get to it this week to go into a little bit more details. The dreams are the Word of God. It's revelations that is given to the fathers. In in the patriarchal age and in the Old Testament age, God, in four different ways, provided His Word to people. 
He did it in dreams, in visions, in trances, and also in spoken conversation like with Moses out of the burning bush. This is the word of God. It's not recorded for another 400 years. Moses wrote the first five books. That's in the Exodus generation. 400 years later, Joseph and those descendants are going to be in Egypt for 400 years. These dreams handed down from Joseph to them is the word of God until it can be written down for us to study today. That's why he had to tell it. He didn't tell it because he just wanted to. He was moved by the Spirit of God because this is the Word of God. And just like today, sometimes we don't want to hear what the Word of God says. It's not what I want to hear. You mean I've actually got to do that. You mean you don't like this. They didn't like to hear the Word of God either. We're actually going to bow down to you. You're actually going to rule over us, not if we can help it. So they're going to set out to make sure that that does not happen. Today, though, we do not have God speaking to us in these four ways. It tells us that we have the complete canon of Scripture that is written down for us. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 will tell us. I'll have to read it because I quote from the King James usually, but it says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times and in a lot of various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So the word of God in the Old Testament times, all the way up until John finishes the book of Revelation. John was given a dream, if you look at Revelation, that he he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and there he started being in that trance and seeing what was going on. Up to that point, God spoke to us through these means. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his Son. We have the recorded Word of God for everybody, for every generation, and there's no new revelations given in these type of ways. It's complete. It used to be delivered in pieces and in portions on how it was supposed to be, but today we have the revealed Word of God. So, this is the Word of God delivered via a dream to Joseph for what's going to happen in the future, and it's for his family to understand this as well. And you know what the Word of God is? It's promises. These are promises of what was going to happen in the future. Now, the big question is, is Joseph, is his father, is his brothers going to hear the word of God and listen and trust in it, or are they going to blow it off? Because we're going to see through all of this If they trusted the word of God, would Jacob believe the report that he's going to get in a little bit about the coat that animals got his son? No, because why? The word of God said, you're going to bow down one day. And that's the thing with us. When we look at these promises of God that he has given, we can stand on them. And not let the circumstances of life control us. 
and dictate our actions. But we can actually relax in them because your state of mind is where happiness is found and where contentment is found and not in circumstances. And when you rely on the word of God and stand on the promises, then your circumstances no longer have to dictate how you feel. And that's what this whole thing about Joseph is about. So as, let's get into it now. If you're there in Genesis 37, let's begin in verse 12 reading. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Well, very well, he replied. And so he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers, with the flocks. Bring word back to me. And then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. And he arrived in Shechem. And a man found Joseph wandering around in the field. And he asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Do you know where they're at? They're supposed to be right here grazing their flocks. Can you tell me where they've taken them? He said, well, they've moved from here. The man answers him. He said, I heard him say, let's go down to Dothan. Well, that's Dothan over in the Middle East and not Alabama or Georgia if you've drove down through there. So he said, they've gone to Dothan. So now he's going to move over and see if he can find them in Dothan. And when they saw him in the distance coming, that's Joseph, before he reached them, the brothers plotted now to kill him. They started ridiculing. They said in verse 19, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him one of these cisterns. Let's take him and put him there. And then we will tell our father that a ferocious animal has attacked him. And devoured him. And then we'll see what becomes of these dreams. When Reuben heard this. He tried to rescue Joseph from their hands. And he said let's not take his life. He said don't shed any blood. Throw him into a cistern here. In the wilderness. But don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this. To rescue him from them. And to get him back to his father. So when Joseph came to the brothers, what did they do? It says that they stripped him of that robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. And then they took him and threw him into a cistern. And the cistern was empty, for there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices and with balm and with myrrh. And they were on their way to take all of that to Egypt. Judah said to the brothers, Hey, what do we gain if we kill our brother and we cover it up? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not lay our hands on him after all. For he is our brother and our own flesh and blood. Well, with this, the brothers agreed to that plot. and So things changed. And when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled him up out of the cistern, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, and they took him on to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the cistern, and he saw that Joseph was gone, he tore his clothes, and he went back to the brothers, and he said, the boy isn't there, where now can I turn to? 
And they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat. They dipped the rope in blood. And they took that ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Take a look at it. Examine it. And see if this is your son's robe. Jacob recognized it and he said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. He's surely been torn to pieces. And so he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and well, not the ashes, sackcloth, and he mourned for his son many days. And all the sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused their comfort. And he said, No, I can't do it. I'm going to continue to mourn until I die as well. And his father wept for him. And meanwhile, he's still alive. And the Midianites sowed Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Remember, believe nothing what you hear, half of what you see. He had a robe, didn't he? Dipped in blood. Now, your mind starts deducting things that you think happen. People tell you things. Don't believe it. Believe nothing of what you see. Half of what you hear. Here they are. All these brothers, they're taking care of their flocks. Joseph, you know, he went out the one time and he returned with the bad report on his brothers. Well, he wrote that up and came back and gave it to dad. So now he's hanging around the home office too long. Dad comes walking in as a CEO and he says, Hey, boy, you're supposed to be out there checking on your brothers. You know, you gave them a bad progress report the last time. So do you think they've got any better? We've got to keep an eye on them. You're hanging around here too much. Get down to Shechem to where they're at and go down there and see how they're doing. Now, how about you? You ever had a bad progress report at work? <laughs> can, you, can you not get another one? That's one of the reasons why these, these boys are going to be upset when they see him coming. Uh-oh, we're not where we're supposed to be. And I, we can't afford another bad progress report. So Joseph says, okay, I will go. And he takes off. And now he's going to go out there and try to find them. And when he does, it says in verse 15... They're not where they're supposed to be. He's wandering around looking for them. And a man says, hey, what are you looking for? He says, well, we're supposed to have flocks here. Our family business was supposed to locate right here. He said, oh, they moved. They took it somewhere else. I heard them that they're going to Dothan. So with that, he heads to Dothan, and now they're in trouble. They're not where they're supposed to be. Another bad progress report's getting ready to happen at work. And here he comes. Well, they can see him off in the distance. A long way off. And as he's approaching, the word starts passing around just like it does with us at work. If you was like us, if you see the boss coming down the hall, is hey, hey, get busy. Look like you're busy. Boss is coming. You know, we all do that. That's what they were doing. They saw him coming afar off and they said, hey, here he comes. Only they was ridiculing him. You've never done that to your boss, have you? Oh, here comes that dreamer. Here he comes. What are we going to do with him? So sure enough, the flocks are at Dothan, and he comes up, and then they're all been goofing off, and he says in verse uh, 18, they saw him in the distance, and before he could reach them, they was already plotting to kill him. How did they know it was him? That robe. (laughs) That robe, you couldn't miss him coming out across the field. The thing that's spurring on this anger with him. Here he comes, not only the dreamer, but look at the robe he's got. 
dad's favorite. You know, here's jealousy again. Now, the mental attitude, and we've been saying throughout the last six, seven months, you are what you think. Proverbs said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. It's not always the outward things that define a man, but it's what's inside the person. And here, anger, bitterness, jealousy is getting ready to try to expose itself into outward expressions. They're plotting to now kill him. And he's, they can't afford another bad progress report. In verse 19, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's take him and we're going to make up a story and throw him into a cistern. So they're ridiculing him and talking about these dreams. That really sticks in their crawl. But again, we said that this is the word of God. They're supposed to be trusting in it, but yet it's causing them to have some bitterness. They don't want to accept it. Let's get rid of the dreamer. You know what they're saying? If we get rid of the messenger, we get rid of the message. No. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of your thoughts and the intents of your heart. That's what we said that the true person is. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So this dream that he has is inspiration of God. That the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly mature into every good work. So therefore, instead of being angry with it, we should study it to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth for our life. That's what they should have been doing instead of getting angry. But no... They said, we're going to get rid of him, and then we can get rid of the principles of the word of God. We don't like it. Now, this is where we begin to stand again on our promise scripture that we have. Romans eight twenty eight, one of my very favorite scriptures. That's the promise that we're seeing all throughout Joseph is all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord. He didn't say all things are good. Most of these things we're going to see in this story are not good. But they work together in the end for the good. Not only for Joseph, but in the end it works together for good for the brothers and the father as well, doesn't it? The whole family is going to benefit. So that is our marching orders as we see this in the story. Verse 21. When Reuben hears their talking of what they're plotting to do, He steps in. He tries to rescue Joseph from their hands, it says. Let's not take his life. Let's not shed the blood. Just throw him into a cistern and leave him there. Now, cisterns. That's a word that we don't use a lot today. So I figured we'd better show what it is. Above you, you see a cistern. Out in the Middle East, they don't get a lot of rain. There's places out there that may get an inch or two a year. So, you dig a dry well. It's, it's kind of like it's not a well because when you dig, you're not looking for water. What you're doing is creating a storage area. It's today, farmers buy big tanks to put things in. At this time, they had to drill down through the ground, expand that out into the hard pan, and that would hold water. And you would put it down into a valley, places where water would run, So that when you did get some rain and it came rushing into the gorge, it would now fill down into this cistern and hold the water for future use. 
That's what a cistern was. And they said, let's throw him into one of these. Now, they attack him when he arrives. They strip him of that hated robe that he has. The ornate robe of authority that he was wearing. And verse 24 of our text makes a solemn statement. It's a double negative. It says, it was empty and there was no water in it. Now, most of the time, I just read past those sort of things. You know, ah, I was empty, no water in it. I keep going, what's going to happen to Joseph? This is very important when there's a double negative. There's a reason. You will find out that God the Holy Spirit doesn't indulge in stories very much. Pretty much to the point. So if there's some words there, pay attention. If it's doubled, pay double attention to it. There was no water in it. It was empty. What's that mean? These folks hate the word of God. What does water represent in the scripture? Water of the word. So here, they're in a time of life when there is no water. It is empty. You ever had that in your life? You ever been in a no water situation? Yeah. These guys are in a no-water situation right now. The thing that's supposed to hold water, like you and I, is supposed to hold the Word of God. The thing that is supposed to hold water is empty. There is no water in it. Kind of the opposite of Psalm 1. I love Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But whose delight is in what? The law of the Lord, the word of God. And in that law, they meditate day and night. That person, now here's a promise of God, folks. Here's another promise from Psalm 1. The person who loves God and meditates in his word day and night is like a tree Planted by rivers of water. That's opposite of a cistern that's empty and no water in it. You will be like a tree planted beside a river of water. And he makes some promises to you. He says, it yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever they do prospers. There's three promises to somebody who loves God and will stay inside the word that will be beside the rivers of water, which is the word of God. But not so the wicked. Here's your warning. Not so. They are like chaff. What's chaff? That's dried up fluff, isn't it? Imagine today a dandelion. Have you ever went out and picked up a dandelion and blew it into the wind and watched it go? That's like chaff, what it does whenever it's dried up. And it says the wicked are like chaff. They're not, they're not saturated with the water of the word. And it says that the wind blows them away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. There's promise number four. He watches over the way of the righteous. And the wicked, though, will lead to destruction. Wow. There is three or four promises of what happens when you're by the water. They're in a no-water situation. When you delight in the law of the Lord, you're going to prosper. Your, your leaf is going to be green. You're going to bear fruit. All that you do prospers. But if you don't 
like the word of God, like these brothers don't like to hear the dream, then you're in a dry valley. Your cistern is empty. There is no water in it. And you will be blown away by the puff of wind. There was no water there. Here comes the dreamer. The well is dry. Verse 25, if you're still in our text. They sat down to eat their meal. They've taken him. They've stripped the robe. They toss him into the cistern. And now they're sitting down eating a meal. And they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming in the distance from Gilead. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but that's hardcore meanness. To throw him in there, to strip him of everything, and now you're just sitting there having a good time eating lunch. Hold your finger in the place right here and turn to Genesis 42. Let's go over about five chapters. I'm going to tell you why this is meanness here. Because Genesis 42 is like 12 years from now. It's many years. They're standing in the court of Pharaoh and Joseph is there. He has now finally ascended all the way up to number two man in the entire world. He looks like a Hebrew. They don't know it's their brother. He's using an interpreter, so that's another reason they think this isn't anybody we know. They don't recognize him at all. And they get there, and if you look down at verse 21 of chapter 42, they said one another, here's these brothers. They said, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed that he was. Wow. When he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you guys wouldn't listen. And now we are giving an account for his blood. They did not realize that it was Joseph then that he could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Do you see? Back to Genesis 37. He's distressed. He's begging. He's pleading. And they're sitting there laughing, having lunch while he's sitting down there really falling apart. Here again, let's make a little application. What did his dream say? His dream said that these brothers are going to bow down. Should he be distressed then? Right now, his circumstances is dictating his actions. God's going to bless him through this. If he would have relied and went back to the word of God that he received, he could have relaxed in the situation and went, all things are not good. I'm not going to pretend that they're good, but God's promised me some things, and it's going to work out for good, so I am going to bear through this and not let my situation, my circumstances dictate my actions. But right now, the boy's only 17 years old. He's got a little bit to go yet. So he's not quite there. But that's what this story is trying to show us on trusting in the Word of God. He's distressed. They're eating and laughing. There's no water. The cistern is dry. Now, the caravan comes by. Here is Romans 8.28 again. Our, our standing ground. Do you think it's a coincidence right now at this exact moment when he's in the cistern and they're eating lunch figuring out what they're getting ready to do with him? Do you think it's a coincidence that a caravan is coming by? I don't think so. 
God has had this plan in motion. Jacob is sending him out into the wilderness to see ten men who hate him. God's in the background going, okay, I've got this guy who's a businessman. I'm going to provide him just enough stuff so that the Midianite Trucking Company, LLC, can load up all of the trucks and have a full load to get all of this myrrh and the spices and the balm and take it to Egypt. And I'm going to coordinate the GPS that that the exact moment that Joseph's in distress, there's going to be a trucking company come by. That's not a coincidence. God had all of that in motion. And that's what I'm trying to say that the word of God is saying to us. We just see our circumstance, but we don't see the big picture of what God's putting together around our life while we're in the circumstance. So it says that this caravan had the balm. That's balm of Gilead. They're coming from Gilead. It had myrrh and spices. You know what that stuff's for? Embalming. It's going to Egypt. They're big on that. You know what that represents? Preservation of the body. So God is sending a caravan of preservation to put him on to take him to Egypt to later preserve the entire family of Israel. And they're going to flourish there for 400 years till he's ready to make them an exodus back into the promised land. So God has preservation in mind the whole time that the boys have a plot that we're going to do away with him. God's plan is overriding everything. And Romans 8.28 says all things are working together toward our good even when our circumstances think not. Joseph still has a little bit to go but he's going to get there. Uh, Now... He had the word, but he failed to understand how to apply it in the situation. And that's where we've got to get good at in our lives. We've got to first hear the word because you can't stand on something you don't know. You can't apply something you don't know. And once you get that word, then you become wise at applying it to the circumstances in life as they pop up. What can I apply from the word of God to what I'm going through right now? And then we begin to see how this is all written for our good and that it takes care of it. That's the right answer. Remember Psalm 1. Delight yourself in His Word. Study it day and night and you will be able to then prosper. You will be able to go in the times of dryness because you're by the river of water. You're not in a desert area. Then verse 26, back in our text. Hey, here's... uh, This Midianite trucking company, Judah is sitting there. He's eating fried chicken, licking the grease off. Some of us may have that today for Father's Day lunch. And he's finishing up that fried chicken, and he looks, and he says, Hey, there's a trucking company coming. I got an idea, guys. Why should we do what we plan to do when we can make some money off of this? Let's see if they will buy Joseph, and then we're good. We didn't do anything to him, and we're going to prosper from it. So verse 26, that's what he tells them. Why should we try to do this and cover it up? Let's sell him to these guys that's coming. So God is good all the time, even when we don't recognize it, right? 
That's, that's marching orders there too. So then these merchants come by. The brothers have to pull him up because when you're thrown down into the cistern, there's no way out. It's, it's a pit with no stairs. I mean, it's a small hole and then it leads way down and it's big down there. You have to let them down on a rope and you have to lower the rope and pull them out. So it says that they pull him up out for the Midianites as they come by. And then they get their 20 shekels of silver. And about this time, after they clear out, Reuben comes. And he comes unglued. The boy's gone. Now where am I going to turn to? I was planning on taking him back to dad. You know what they told him? They said, here's your two shekels. Because see, 20 shekels times the 10 brothers to a piece. And they said, here's your two shekels. You're a part of this now. So now, let's figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to see Dad because you're already a part of this. So now they get that. They think everything's going to be okay by that. But look at what we got going on. We got Joseph now being sold to cousins that hate him. Remember, these Midianites and Ishmaelites are Middle Eastern cousins that aren't on the blessed side of God. They are... Through Abraham's descendants, but not through Isaac. They're through Keturah's son and through Hagar's sons. These people don't like him. Is Joseph going to be safe? I don't know. It's a long way to Egypt. These brothers, is their plan going to be good? Is the father going to believe them and and everything going to be all right with them? I don't know. Because we're going to find out next week. So as the band comes on back up and the worship team, let's review for what we want to take home today from this message. This section of the Word of God, what can we take home with us? Well, first of all, Romans 8.28 is our words to live by. We said applying the Scripture to the situation. Anytime you can apply this one. This one covers all. It's like you're... Before you paint, they tell you to put a primer coat. Romans 8.28's primer. It, it goes over anything and prepares everything for us. All things are not good, but he makes it good. It's a promise to those that love God. From the day you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a promise that he will work all things together for your good. We said last week, that's a good reason to be a Christian. If you're not, I pray that you will become one today. You come on up and ask, and we will baptize you into Christ, and you will be a part of that, and he will now work all things to your good. But as we look, was everything in Joseph's life good? Was being sowed, being the favorite, being thrown into a cistern, the brother's hatred, were all those things good? No. But by the time we get through with this series, we're going to see how God works it all for the good. And that's the way it is for our life. And that's why this was written. So that we will know how to take these things and trust God to love our Father that's in heaven. Because He is working behind the scenes all things for our good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you on this Father's Day for your love. Thank you for showing us how that through every situation of life, you're in the background taking care of things in a way that we don't even realize. Man, preparing the Midianite Trucking Company
to be there at that moment. What would have happened if they were two days earlier or two days later? But by divine providence, you are working things out to be an exact step that when we look back on the tapestry of our life, we can see how that you wove the entire thing. Father, thank you for this. We pray for faith, like the guy who said, I have faith, Lord, increase my faith. That's where we stand. We want to love and trust you, but sometimes we need that little extra push. We need for you to help us increase our faith in your word and to trust you. And we thank you, Father, for this love and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
may be seated.